is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. So I hope you are enjoying the uh, the end of June, the beginning of July here. Here we are, you know, the long weekend. Uh, hopefully everybody is doing something enjoyable. You know, it's interesting because... The news has been filled with so many things that are maybe not related to real estate, but yet related to real estate. So did you uh, did you hear the other week about the fact that they're doing an HOT lane going in from uh, basically from Burlington through to Oakville? Uh, I think it's Appleby line all the way to Trafalgar. The idea of being able to have uh, we, the HOV lanes, for those of you, uh, if, you, if you do travel them or not, you know, you're aware that you need two people in your car, you travel for free, it's a little bit quicker, get to the outer left lane there and you can boogie along and no problem, you're, you know, speeds up your trip a little. And um, so now what they want to do is they want to call it the HOT lane as well. So, you know, HOV for, they're going to have two people, HOT means that one person can be in the car, but you got to pay for it. And I think the proposed price is sitting at about $60 a month. So they're saying about $2 a day, $180 per quarter. And by the way, it's um, it's sort of like the lottery, the way they do hunting uh, licenses, where you apply and if your name gets picked, apparently there's a thousand of them. Uh, that is, they're going to allow you every quarter. And then so everybody has to apply every quarter. And if you happen to be the lucky one, you get into it. And there you go. So $180 to hop all the way over the left-hand side if you're by yourself. Now, reason why I bring this up in a real estate show is the fact that a lot of people, you know, are afraid of places like the suburbs. You know, they want to be closer to Toronto. So is this actually going to help a few people? Now, just to give you an idea, that strip between Trafalgar and Appleby Line, I'm not going to say it's terribly long. You know, it's a few kilometers, obviously, and maybe it's going to speed up your trip by five or ten minutes. So would five or ten minutes make the difference from you buying in one marketplace to another? So affordability. How much does affordability cost? Well, let's do the numbers quickly, okay? It's pretty simple to figure out that $720 per year, if you were winning a lottery every single quarter, is what you would spend. Do it over 10 years, $7,000, roughly $7,200, whatever it would be. So does that make sense to be able to do better on your house pricing? So if you take a look at an area like Burlington, for instance, great area, um, you know, I could go to the other side of the city and let's talk about Oshawa. You know, it's coming up. It's uh, very affordable. Will they eventually turn around and throw an HOT lane out there? Are they going to start limiting people as well? You know, they want to propose this one first on the QEW and let it go. But would this change your mindset in the future about going further? How much is your time worth? You know, when I do my simple seminars, I always ask people that question. How much is your time worth? And a lot of people turn around and, you know, they go immediately to how much they get paid, you know, on a salary basis. They analyze it to an hour and say, great, you know, 10 minutes of my time is worth, you know, $20. Okay, great. So if it was $2, it's a saving. Does it make sense? But when you take a look at the difference between, a uh, you know, a property and the value of the property, 
you know, you take a look at Burlington and let's say your average detached home in the Burlington area sits at around six to seven hundred thousand dollars. But you look at Toronto at a million and you say, okay, great, there's a three or four hundred thousand dollar difference to be able to go and drive further. What's it worth to you? And that's one of those things that only you can decide. But I got to tell you, it's it's something that I have found to be one of the biggest dilemmas for buyers when they are out in a marketplace. For years and years and years when, when I was working with buyers, I noticed that they would turn around, they'd come up, and they always set their price. So if you can only buy $750,000, do you turn around and buy a townhouse in Etobicoke or do you buy a... 2,500 square foot detached in Burlington with a double car garage, fully fenced backyard because you're going to drive. What's your choice? What do you think? Is it, is it something that you want to do? Is it something that you, you look at the drive? And this is why the outer markets, the suburbs are starting to catch on, why more and more people are realizing that Perhaps Toronto has hit its max where people just aren't willing to pay it. Now, if you sell your property and you get out and you move, great idea. So sell your property in Toronto, take your 1.2, take it out to Burlington, but you know, $500,000 in your pocket and now you've got a $700,000 home. Perfect. You could do it. But what about your life? Is it worth the drive? Are you in that position? Um, are the, is the government going to stay on top of transit? Are we actually going to have more trains, better subways, everything else? Next few years, it, we're going to find out. And I got to tell you, a lot of the proposals to with the TTC and a lot of these new stops, are they actually going to come to fruition? Are they going to come in on budget? And are they actually going to come in on time? You know, half the problem here in Toronto is that we can't even get our streetcars. Okay, you know what? We're still lacking in the new streetcars, and I think that's going to be a long, long time coming. So again, transit, real estate, believe it or not, the two of them go hand in hand. Accessibility is so important. And for you making that final decision, I know it's pretty important. So, you know, one of the things I love about the National Post is the fact that every once in a while they throw some feature homes up there. And for me, I always like to delve into this kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things I found kind of cool is the fact that, you know what $5 million buys you nowadays? Well, in Toronto, not a whole lot. But out towards London, if you were an equestrian, you could get a 116-acre deluxe equestrian farm with a 12,500-square-foot riverfront house for $5 million. You know what? They'd probably be negotiable, but I got to tell you, when I took a look at the pictures, wow. Like, unbelievable. This house would be, if you put, I mean, even not even close, you can't do 116 acres anywhere in the GTA, but even if it was just a footprint of the house with a little bit of lawn attached to it, this house would be easily, you know, 25, 30 million based on what it has. Unbelievable. And it's $5 million. So, I don't know. Anybody out there want to do a uh, to do a drive-in from London so they can turn around and have some serious, serious affordable real estate? Uh, very interesting. A lot of economists weighing in on stuff uh, lately. You know, again, people want to start predicting, will the bubble burst? How much will it burst by? What are we doing with condominiums? Hey, by the way, um, today, my special guest joining me is going to be John Carlos Silfidis, and he is from Build. And uh, we're going to talk about renovations. Why 
way, one-third of you are going to be renovating over the next two years, mostly because you don't want to want to move and because it's becoming so costly. But huge, huge number of people that are taking a look at making the move to renovate. Also, how about the fact that the number of new detached homes for sale in Toronto has never been this low? And this is new detached homes, which means... Of course, the builders are not getting the permits. You know, I've had uh, I've had a few people on over the last few uh, few weeks telling us that the builders need to have a little bit more freedom, and the government's got to let up and, and ease up and allow them to get more building permits. So, are we in that position right now where new builders are struggling to get product built? Which, again, as soon as that happens, supply and demand forces the prices up. We have less inventory, less builders being able to come to market. Market. And I don't know. So you know what? When Giancarlo joins me, uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. Very, very important. And I'm going to ask him some of the things that uh, people should be considering when doing a renovation. You know, there's lots of areas of renovating, uh, doing anything from additions to new kitchens, new bathrooms. Where is the money best spent? How you should be spending it? Is there financing available? All those important things when we talk about renovations. And definitely, John Carlos Savitas is the one that I love talking to. And he's been a guest here many, many times on uh, Simply Real Estate. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, I am Todd C. Slater, your host here on News Talk 1010 Simply Real Estate. And uh, so lots, lots going on. Interestingly enough, uh, a few weeks back, Mr. Trudeau, our esteemed uh, prime minister, was out in Vancouver. You know, it's interesting. We we smile with new immigrants, shake their hands, saying, thanks, welcome to Canada. The next minute, we want to tax them for buying Canadian real estate. We've got to be careful with this one because it's a real bone of contention for a lot. And even though we have a lot of people that do want to put money into Canada, do we, uh, do we tax them? And I know a lot of people's interpretation is that they're just coming in to make some money and eventually they sell. Well, the best thing I think that you can do with that is hit them with higher capital gains tax. So you know what? Make sure um, you know they know out of the gate. If you're not here for five or 10 years, if you start moving your money around, you know, then by all means, you should pay high taxes. Be nicer to see that... Um, and I think this is actually one of the studies that they're going to be doing is it would be nicer to see that uh, they are not allowed to leave properties vacant. In fact, they should put a tax on vacancy. So if you're not going to have somebody inhabiting your property, if you are not renting it out, if you're not putting it back into a rental system, which by the way, they should, then what has to happen is you should pay an extra tax on it. And again, this is more from the idea or their perception that all people do is they bring money into Canada, they buy a property, and they leave it vacant for years. No problem. If you're going to do that, you're going to pay extra taxes on it. There's a suggestion, Mr. Trudeau. Perhaps you may want to uh, throw that by Finance Minister, Mr. Bill Morneau, and uh, see if we start taxing vacant properties. That might be an idea. And uh, maybe that's going to help us with our coffers. It'll add some, uh, you know, some of it up. So again, market is chugging along, very steady, low inventory. In fact, lowest in in a long, long time, which means that uh, houses are still selling quickly. If you're out there buying, you know it, you've been experiencing it. 
And you know what? We still see some multiple offers. But again, my take on it is is that we're going to start to stabilize very, very soon. I would say over the next 6 to 12 months, we're going to see the market flatten out. So listen, by the way, stay with me because when we come back, as I said, my special guest, John Carlos Avidas from Build is going to be joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. As I mentioned before the break, that um, we're going to talk about renovations today and lots of stuff in the news about so many of you that have decided not to move and now you're going to become renovators. And so joining me, of course, is a special guest to Simply Real Estate, um, Mr. John Carlos Sofitas. He's been here and been a very great guest for me to have on several times. And John Carlo, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here. So, you know, we, you and I have had some great conversations about renovations, constructions, you know, recent, um, recent article in the Financial Post is saying that a lot of people have decided not to move, but now they've decided to renovate. With Build and your company and all the major professional, I'll put it professional renovators out there, um, wonderful news for you, for you folks. It's fantastic news, but it's uh, to be expected. I mean, at the end of the day, affordability of new housing is a real concern for people. So what they're doing is they're saying, hmm, I can reconfigure my space or I can add a little bit more space to my house and I can have the home that I want. And it would be, I think in their estimation, cheaper than buying new or buying that space that they're looking for now. So this is going to fuel, I think, a bit of a a mini boom in the renovation industry. Which, you know, which is great news because, first of all, it creates, you know, lots more jobs. And one of the things that uh, if we try to look in depth on this, a lot of our listeners right now, if they've owned their property for, let's say, 10 years, for an example, or maybe 15, let's say their value is sitting at a million dollars today. But yet when they bought it, it was sitting around 500000 If they have not refinanced to date, the fortunate thing is, is that if they decide to go after what you would call a home line of credit or a renovation loan, they've got lots of room there that the, 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 the lenders will give them some money. So this will help them accommodate a renovation. And I think you, uh, pardon the pun, but you hit the nail on the head on that <laughs> one, Todd. Uh, that's exactly what's happening. I think people who have been in the market for 10, 15 years, they've got some equity built up because of the escalation of values in the GTA. So they're looking at the situation saying, well, okay, I need more space. I can go out and buy a new house, but hang on. I'm sitting on $500,000 in equity here that I could use to renovate that, the house I have the way I want it. And it's it will be cheaper than buying the new product out there. Well, you know, interesting point, because when people want to, you know, so there's a lot of people and, and in real estate, you hear the, well, you know, we just want a little bigger this, a little bigger that, we, we, but we can't afford it or we can't do this. But when they start looking at what they do want, you know, the option of being able to renovate and get it and keep stay put is sometimes better than trying to sell and buy. Because if they're selling, yes, they realize the profit, but yet they've got to buy back into the same market for that much more. Because if they're, in, if they're buying more house, they're going to pay more money. They so, are, but don't discount the effect of transaction costs as well, right? Sure. It's expensive to buy and sell real estate. 
I mean, apart from the actual product itself. Yeah, I was going to say. Now, you realtors, don't get upset. You know, John Carlo, John Carlo is a friendly here. So. Yes, absolutely. But, but, but you know, right. you've got this. You got two land transfer taxes in the city of Toronto, <laughs> which uh, you know can add anywhere from ten to thirty thousand dollars, depending on the value of the home. Sure, so and, then, the and then real estate and, and real estate fees. I mean, you and know, let, let's fees. be real. At a million dollars, you know, it's fifty thousand. So, you know, you can you can easily go through you know anywhere from forty to eighty thousand dollars in fees. Yes. Uh, you know, lawyers, fees, everything yes. else. Um, but good point to make though is the fact that. You know, a lot of people, their their motive to move is normally to get bigger or better. You know, we see a lot of that. Yes, bigger, better, or what I find interesting these days, Todd, is there's a lot of, uh, I would say, well, I'm not going to call them elderly people, but uh, people in their late 50s, early 60s moving back into the city. These are the same people that move to the suburbs to get the bigger house, uh, the additional space. But they find the lifestyle is just killing them. It's the, the drives, the commutes. It's really onerous on them, and they're moving back to the city, and they're willing to pay that premium. Really? Okay. You know what? Um, we, we, we've seen a lot of people exit the city, but they're exiting more from profit. You know, they like the idea of, hey, let's let's take our our million dollars and, and we'll buy something smaller in St. Catharines or yes. Welland or, you know, like they'll, they'll go to the outer markets. But yet, um, so you, you're actually finding people that oh. are coming in, they're buying, but are Absolutely. they buying and renovating? Is that what you're finding? No, I'm, I'm finding they're buying the renovated product okay. or some do buy and renovate and give you an example because, you know, these are the people that moved out, but now their kids are in the city having kids of their own. So these grandparents want to be closer to the extended family and they're moving back. Okay. Well, okay. Listen, that, that's, I, I mean, it's a great point. So, so when we, when we see something like this in the news, obviously, they're always reporting it late because you guys will have a swing way before they announce it. <laughs> yes. You know, you've seen this. Um, where did you really see the, really the uptick? Has, has it been the last 18, 24 months? I mean, have we started to see it because of the increase in the in the price values? The uptick in, in what? In the amount of jobs that, that people are renovating. So renovations in a whole, I know, have been on an upswing for the last little while. Have you noticed it? Has it, has it been that, um, you know, noticeable or dramatic over the last few years or is it just recently? No, I would say it's been a sustained thing over the last few years. It just hasn't got the uh, media headlines that it's getting now. <laughs> right. Because as you know, the renovation industry is actually larger than the new home building industry and has been for quite some time. Yeah, you had mentioned that last time you were on the show. How many people are in the renovation industry here in, let's say, the GTA market? Do you know? Well, I think off the top of my head, the... Uh, I think you said 99,000 or something in that range. It, oh, the jobs created? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost 100,000 jobs. Right. It, and then if you want to talk about dollar values, you're talking, you know, an industry that's yeah. substantially There's larger. Billions. Billions. Yeah. You're yeah. in the billions. Yeah. And and so knowing that, um, and not to scare our listeners off from renovating when we start mentioning <laughs> billions, you know, obviously you've got some projects on the go. And I'd asked you um, a little bit earlier that maybe we can have a little chat about them. Um, so we're going to talk a lot today about, you know, taking somebody through a renovation process. I also want to talk to you a little bit about new builders and some of the permits. So, uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, John Carlos Safitas is with me. He is from Build, and he is also a professional 
building contractor. And um, we're going to talk, uh, you know, for the rest of the show about renovations, the industry. We're going to talk a little bit about what happens when you want to actually renovate your property. Some of the things that you should be aware of, some of the things you should do before hiring a contractor. And, you know, where do you best place your money? Where should you spend your money in a renovation? And, um, by the way, just so you know, uh, to us, the market is always twofold here at Simply Real Estate. It's not just buying and selling. The idea of renovating a property is very, very important. It makes your house your home and definitely something for long-term uh, ownership. It's very, very important here. So when we come back, I'm going to have more with John Carlo. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Hey, if you're just joining us, today's guest is John Carlos Fiedis from Build. Uh, he's a professional contractor, and we are talking about renovations. How actually in the marketplace we're starting to see an increase in renovations because a lot of people have just given up the idea of buying. Uh, a new home or selling their home and have decided to renovate. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And as a renovator at heart, when I first got into construction and, you know, um, building years and years and years ago, um, one of the things that I started as was a renovator and always been a fan of renovations. So one of the reasons why uh, John Carlo is, is uh, you know, we're lucky to have him as our guest is that this is what he does, folks. Whenever you do hire a professional, make sure you've got somebody that is a, a, uh, a professional, somebody that's been in the industry for a long time. You know, being a member of Build is definitely a, an advantageous. You are able to check their credentials, make sure that everybody, if you're going to hire somebody, has all the necessary insurance, WSIB. Make sure you are covered all different ways because if somebody climbs up a ladder going up your property and does not have insurance, you know who's responsible? you. So you want to make sure that you are covered when you hire a professional. And I know that the idea of hiring somebody and paying cash, you know, a lot of people sit there and say, hey, listen, if I pay you cash, do I get a better deal? The chances are the people that will take that deal also will say, hey, it's okay if I don't have WSIB, right? So this is the thing. You know how I've always preached about having professional agents, the people that do this full time? I'm going to double down and say, if you're going to have a renovation done, make sure you use a professional. And speaking of professionals, uh, John Carlo, um, you and I were talking, you know, just before uh, the break uh, about how we're seeing a lot more renovations being done. Uh, of course, one of the things, and again, Financial Post always has some great articles, number of new detached homes for sale in Toronto has never been this low. What's going on? Well, you can uh, look at that a number of different ways. But at the end of the day, people aren't selling their homes. They're renovating them. There aren't uh, as many homes coming online. And to a large extent, that's uh, a municipal issue. The municipalities aren't making it easy in terms of the permit process. It's laden with bureaucracy. There's a whole bunch of hoops that you have to go through. Uh, people these days want to expand their houses. That will usually necessitate a committee of adjustments hearing. That could be anywhere from three to six months. By the time the permits are released, you could be looking at a 12-month cycle. 
So when we're talking brand new builders, what we're seeing, of course, is majority of all permits being released right now, about 90% of them are going into the condominium high-rise market. But detached, even in surrounding GTA, even the detached market is not, um, you know, there's not as many building permits being released. There's more and more, I guess, hoops for developers and builders to jump through. Yes. Why, why is this being slowed down so much? Is it the municipalities that are controlling it? Is it because, are, are they increasing, um, you know, the cost for permits? What, what's going on? Well, it's a confluence of many events, and, and I think you touched on them. You've got municipal government policies that are very burdensome. You have to jump through many hoops. You've got committee of adjustments hearings. You need zoning certificates. Then you have provincial government policy uh, issues such as the green belt and the growth plan. They're constricting the amount of land that's available to build on. So what what does that do? If you can't build out, you're going to build up. I mean, is it any coincidence we've seen a boom in the number of, of condominiums since these environmental policies were put into place? No, it was to be expected. So that's what we can expect. So as you have an increase or greater supply in high rise, or in multi-unit, that's going to place a premium on the single-family detached home. That's making it more expensive, and that's why we're entering these whole questions of affordability. When we talk about affordability, I think the main driver of that discussion is the single and the semi. It's not necessarily the uh, condominium unit, though those are appreciating as well, but not at a, a rate anywhere near uh, resembling single-family homes. Well, which is a great point. And from, from your perspective, obviously, with build and, you know, a lot of times you do deal with um, new construction, brand new construction, looking at these kind of things. For us, um, you know, we've recognized the fact that I call it a split market here in Toronto. So a split market being the condominium market and the detached market. And despite the fact that we've got both provincial and federal government that want to douse the, the actual increase in values in our marketplaces. You know, I think that they have to be very, very selective here. And I think that they would need to turn around and focus more into municipalities than they do and cover it with a blanket. So in other words, if they just turn around and paint the GTA with one brush saying, okay, you guys are out of control. This is what we've got to do. Because looking at the condominium market, you know, we've looked at the percentage of increase and we could be anywhere from 3 to 8% increase year over year. But yet we look at our detached market and we're looking in well in, in excess of 15% year over year. So as you mentioned, you know, right now, anything brand new being built has got a premium attached to it, being both a detached or semi-detached, but condominiums not so much. So from a builder's perspective... Does this not make, even though there is a premium attached to it, but just for ease, does that mean more people are going to want to build condos or townhomes be, just because it's easier? Because it sure seems like, you know, the municipalities are not making it easy for the big, you know, the bigger detached homes. The municipalities aren't making it easy for just anybody. about anything, for okay. anybody, you know, multi-unit, single family. But, you know... What you said, it speaks to, it's a simple law of supply and demand. You know, let's reduce it to that. Clearly, there's lots of demand for single-family housing. And that's, I think, a main driver of the price increase. So what do you do? How do you combat that, if you will? You increase the supply. Who's responsible for increasing the supply? That's government policy. Government policy regulates the supply of land. And if governments are serious about affordability, you can't have it both ways. You can't burden the industry with all kinds of fees and all kinds of uh, bureaucratic procedures, restrict the land supply, and then talk about affordability uh, you know, on the other side. You, 
as I said before, Todd, I think on our on a previous time we were together, the cost, 25% of the cost of new housing consists of government taxes. That's wow, staggering. That, that, that's, that's staggering. That's a quarter of the cost is government taxes. Wow, that's staggering. And and when we look at 25% cost, I mean, if you take your, and, and let's just, we'll pick on semi-detached because they're a fairly easy thing to pick on. Sure. And if you take your <laughs> take a look at semi-detached, let's say for... Six hundred thousand. I mean, you probably won't get much of a semi-detached nowadays for six hundred thousand either. Not GTA. <laughs> okay, so let's go to eight hundred. What the heck? So two hundred thousand dollars of that, just to quantify it, because a lot of times when you quantify something, people go two hundred thousand dollars is going into some form of tax and fees. Yes. Wow. You know, and this 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 is the thing because a lot of a lot of people are screaming that the builders are making too much money. This is this is part, <laughs> you know that in in general. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, the builders are the ones taking advantage of it. And and I think we have to caution our listeners. You know, it's not that I'm saying that the builders are all poor, but at the same time, they are also paying the hefty fees, development charges, administration costs. Um, there's a lot of it. And I don't know if people are aware that a lot of the a lot of the road development and a lot of things that need to be put in an in infrastructure builders are also responsible for paying for. Yes, absolutely. Well, Todd, let's put it this way that you know all our listeners can can understand. If you've got a million dollars to invest, what rate of return would you expect on that? Is it unreasonable to expect an eight to ten percent rate of return? Well, I think eight to ten is a really good return. I think <laughs> exactly. that you know, I think that's a really good return. Um, I'm not sure that everybody's getting that. Uh, you know, well, no, but... not with today's low interest rates. But think about the risk that a builder would go through. Just take one project. Say you're building one house. You've got more than a million dollars at risk by the time you buy the land and construct the property. Okay, you're usually well over a million dollars. Okay. So, so are you saying that your average builder's rate of return is eight to ten percent? Uh, yes, I think a lot of people, if they're making 10 points, are happy with 10 points. Which, you know, for all the trouble, but the mass investment and risk they're taking, again, that's not a huge return when you think about it. Because, again, looking at just the cash outlay that they have to do work with, you know, it's that's, that's, that's still, yes, it's a return, but they're running a company. They're running the risk, and they've got hundreds of millions of dollars exposed most of the time. Yes, and you're creating jobs, and you're creating a better property tax base for the municipality. You're contributing to, the, to society, I think, at every level, particularly from a tax standpoint. Everyone's taking their pound of flesh. You know, in no other industry do you have all three levels of government with their hands in the pocket of this industry. You got, we can talk about the municipal fees, building (laughs) permit fees, committee of adjustments fees, land transfer fees. Provincially, you got more land transfer fees. You got WSIB. And then federally, of course, there's the HST. So every level of government has their hand in our pocket. All right, and we're not putting our hand in your pocket, but if you stay with us, when we come right back with John Carlo, we'll talk more about uh, building and renovation. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Hey, listen, if you're just tuning in, my guest is John Carlos Afidis. He is a professional contractor. He is also uh, with Build. And folks, 
when we talk about uh, construction and contracting and building, um, you know, I always like to have experts on and John Carlo has been in the industry for years and years and years and always a friendly guest here to us at Simply Real Estate. Um, you know, just before the break, John Carlo, we were talking about all the fees that you incur as a builder, brand new builder, when people are building brand new, and that, you know, basically, if you're selling a property for 800000 25% of that could very much well go to soft, what we call soft costs, development charges, things yes. that are required to be paid to municipalities, provincial, federal, everything. So there's a huge expense here. Whether you know it or not, the municipality is your partner. And their rate of return is guaranteed, and you can't say the same. So that's just the reality of the industry. Before that shovel goes into the ground, you know, on a single-family home, you've spent tens of thousands of dollars. I don't want to scare potential <laughs> builders, but it, it, it's significant. So what you're saying is the premier is your partner, <laughs> and so it's okay if they waste the money because it's coming from us anyways. Well, you know, it's never okay yeah. when they waste our money, but we... We can't control that. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. And and you know what? Here's here's the thing. Um, you know, it's a fact of life. There are costs that should be incurred, okay, if we're going to be doing, you know, developments and everything else. But there also needs to be some leeway. And if you, we talked earlier about affordable housing, and I know the province is really struggling with this because, you know, they, they, they want to entice builders to build it, but they're not giving the builders the break to build it. You know what I mean? And you're exactly right. At the end of the day, affordable housing isn't free. Someone has to pay for it. Right. And if it's going to be an instrument of social policy, then that should be a societal responsibility. You cannot shift societal priorities and responsibilities on one industry. Well, not into a private sector either. So they, they can't be coming to the building industry and saying, you need to do it for this and you need to do it for this price. Um, you know, if, 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 the, if the province or the federal government want to create better affordable housing, then either create their own building tool, which means like, look, they have lots of land. You know, I talk to all sorts of, you know, mostly with the cities and different municipalities, but they have a lot of extra land kicking around. Yes. And it's just sitting there. Okay, so they're not really, it's not like they're paying themselves their own taxes. So ultimately, in the end, you know, if they turned around and decided, hey, why doesn't the province make their own, you know, government housing? Forget about hiring or forcing other builders to do it. And when they, I, I know it's one of the things with the tenders, because, you know, some of the builders that I have spoken with, they say, why would I bother building it? Because they put, they put the numbers so tight to it, there's absolutely no profit in it. And sooner or later, you know, watch out. Could they mandate saying, if you build a thousand units like this, then you have to give us a hundred units of this? And, and there was that conversation, wasn't there? Well, as a matter of fact, the enabling, the enabling legislation for that just passed. It's called inclusionary zoning. Yeah, I know. And, and, and this, is a, this is an interesting area of public policy. We're still not sure what the full ramifications of that are or what the legislation itself is going to look like in its final form. But what does that mean? Inclusionary zoning. Okay, so if you want to have more units that are affordable, what is that going to do to the other units that are market priced? Well, bingo. And, and I was going to say, you know, so are there two entrances? I think you and I ch chatted about this once before. Are there two entrances into the building? So if you're, if not, is it, you know, you have your, your, your beautiful tower with a grand entrance and then 
little arrows saying affordable housing to the back <laughs> and you go in the back door and they have the rickety elevator versus do you know what I mean no, like we're like, Canadian. Like, uh, there, we don't there's do the cartoon that. I know we don't that's but right. here's the thing there's the cartoon version of it right that's the cartoon version but yeah. what you know I mean there's a whole bunch of questions that still need to be answered on this whole area of inclusionary zoning and uh, you know some of our larger members could speak to that with a little more expertise than I can. But, you know, the broad strokes are, you know, someone has to pay for this. If the province and city want affordable units, you know, that affordability could be based on income. It could, there's a number of different means tests for that. Who's going to pay for that? Are you going to vary your zoning requirements or waive your zoning requirements to increase density to make up for that? So if you were allowed 30 stories, are you are you going to allow 40, 40 now? exactly, to right? accommodate the extra. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole number of questions that need to be looked at and addressed. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. So let's go back to renovations. And now you've got a, I, I'm sure you have a few projects on the go, as you always do. Yes. Um, you know, can you take me through? I, what, what are we seeing more of? Are we seeing people just reconstruct inside? Are we seeing renov- like additions? What, what are we seeing, you know, in the marketplace? That's a great question. Todd, because right now, I mean, I can tell you from our portfolio, it's half and half. People are adding space right, or just reconfiguring space, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I think, you know, some of the older homes where there were formal dining rooms and smaller kitchens, I think that the trend these days is just to open it up into one great space. Yep. And you let half walls and furniture segment your spaces sure. as opposed to full walls, full walls with long, you know, tunnel-like hallways. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the days are gone with the, the formal dining room, you know, all the formal rooms other than bedrooms and bathrooms, of course. But I find that uh, a lot more people are more comfortable with more of the grand approach, you know, like a... You know your your great room with your you know sort of like a formal dining room, but not not yet. It's it's sort of like here's a room with a with the the TV room with your couches with a dining table over here. But I find uh, you know the idea of breakfast bars a lot of that's very important because a lot of people you know they eat breakfast or lunch at those and kids do their homework there. Are you finding that that's common in a lot of the designs that you're doing? Very common. Um, I think it's a good point. What's happening, it's the all-in-one room, as we call it. It's Mm -hmm. the great room, and then you have uh, usually pretty intricate and big islands that act as that informal dining or gathering area. And again, it depends on the space and lot size you have and house you have, but uh, you know some people are doing that and then adding the second floor or the addition anyways. Sure. Are we fi- are, are you finding that people are going up um, for a lot of the bungalows that are out there? You know, they're putting a second story yes, on? Yes, they're going out and up. Out and so up. So they're usually doing the three to four bedrooms with a couple of bathrooms on the second floor. And then that first floor, as you said, is the big great room, the big kitchen, and sometimes even an alternative front room for the piano or just a quieter reading area. So I, I, I don't mean to put you on a financial spot here, but a question that a lot of people will want to know is that when you're doing an addition, and let's say you're going to add. Now, of course, there's going to be a ton of differences, meaning that, you know, are you adding a foundation to it? Are you breaking out this? Are you having to resupport that engineering beams? But is there a square footage price? So in other words, if somebody wants to add a thousand square feet, to their 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 property, again, it's not just the fit and finish because we know, we know kitchens can range anywhere from IKEA to custom built. But is there is there a budget that people should look at? Is it is it two hundred dollars a square foot? Is it three hundred dollars a square foot when renovating? Is there is there kind of a ballpark? And again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but there's got to be a number just so people's heads can get around it a little. Well, this is a good question, and this is the way I would answer it. You have to be careful with per square foot cost figures. Mm-hmm. 
Because if you're adding a thousand square feet, let's say it's 500 square feet over the first and second floor. Now that will necessitate a basement or foundation, right? right? So now you've got brick cladding, now you've got windows and plumbing and electrical. So it's sure. essentially you're building, building a small house and yep. attaching it to the existing house. Right. It's the same procedure. So if I were to tell you what's 200 bucks a square feet, it wouldn't be enough because yep. you need enough square footage to spread the costs over for it to be a meaningful figure. Right. So, so in other words, when it's smaller square footage, it, your square footage price is higher. A lot higher. If you said, hey, add 4,000 square feet, then 200 is probably reasonable. Correct. But if you're going to add 1,000, maybe it's $300 a square foot. And just like anything else, the larger the project, the greater the economies of scale. Right. right. I mean, if you're building a 5,000 square foot home, it's not unreasonable to say it's going to cost you 200 to $225 a square foot. Right. If you're building a 2,000 square foot home, it could be $300 a square foot. Which is funny because then you're not, you, you know, you're, you're I, again, your numbers get a lot tighter. So it's better, it's always better not to tell everybody to go build 5,000 square feet. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's more affordable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a um, couple of quick questions then. Uh, best place for people to spend money when doing major renovations? Well, it depends on what they want. Are they doing the renovations to increase the value of their house for resale, or are they doing it for their own comfort? Well, of course, comfort is, is, is the reason why they're doing it, but everybody should know that whatever you do, you want to make sure you get a decent rate of return on it. So, I mean, you know, you and I have talked in the past that, you know, kitchens and bathrooms, always very important. Critical areas, because they're showcase areas, that's what your guests are going to see uh, when they come to the house, and that's what makes a house look good. Other areas, though, windows. People uh, don't place enough emphasis on windows, not only for aesthetics, but for energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. And then if you want, uh, for your own comfort, you should look at insulating the attic, perhaps redoing the roof, doing the energy testing to see how energy efficient your house is, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, areas that um, I call it throwing money away, uh, backyard pools. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. Yes, don't uh, don't drown your cash. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's simply that would be simply for your enjoyment. One hundred percent enjoyment only, yes. not for resale down the road. Correct. Okay, because landscaping is that one where you've got to do enough. So let's say you build your five thousand square foot home. Let's take go back to that one. Okay, you have to do nice enough landscaping that will emulate you know that 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 grandeur feel. The the you know you, you've arrived. You know people don't want to turn around and go nice green grass. In my 5,000 square foot and home. Todd, that's an excellent point. And that's a point that so many builders overlook. Okay, so you spent 600000 building the house. You could spend $100,000 landscaping easily, mm -hmm. right? And, and as you said, the landscaping has to be commensurate with the stature of the home. Yep. You're not going to put some sod down in a small flower bed and say, yeah, I've done my landscaping. Yeah, I want right? $2.2 .2 million yeah, for it. Exactly. Yeah. I think the market's a lot more sophisticated than that. Yeah. So, I, again, it's got... You've got to have the right fit and finish, both in and out, yes. to be able to get the return. But of course, if it's if you're customizing it to your own personal needs, you know that's where we say you know you can put a pool in, you can do the usual stuff. So, um, listen, always awesome to have you here as a guest. It's Thank always you, John a Carlo. pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. listen, all the best this summer. Hopefully, everything you. goes well. And uh, folks, uh, that was John Carlos Safitas with me. Um, of course, always a great guest. So interesting. You know what? Um, I I I believe in renovations, and again. Uh, John Carlo, what's the best way for people to reach you? 
Well, they can uh, get us at renomark.ca. It's myself and all my colleagues that are members of Renomark, the professional renovators of Toronto. Excellent. So that's the best place. And definitely, uh, folks, if you're going to do some renovations, keep uh, John Carlo in mind because definitely you're going to get a professional to deal with. Anyways, uh, I want to thank Ian Grant uh, for producing the show this week. I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Um, that's it. Hey, listen, enjoy the long weekend. I hope everybody's healthy, safe, and wise. And I will talk to you next week, Saturday at 4 p.m. So thanks so much and have a great weekend.